1: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
0: This is Scott Walker. And this is Steve Rogers of
2: Into the Blue. And we're on Tom Rowland's Podcast.
3: Hey everybody, and welcome to the podcast. Got a great one for you today. I was able to sit down with a couple of people that are probably the most popular request when I ask for suggestions on on the next guest. I get a lot of suggestions for the hosts of Into the Blue Television, my friends Scott Walker and Steve Roger, and uh, you know that's a show that we produce. And it seems like it would be very very easy for me to get time with these guys and i get plenty of time with the guys but the problem is is that usually we're fishing you know 10 12 hours and uh pretty much the last thing they want to do is sit down and talk to me anymore so it's been very difficult to get them pinned down but found a little time and i did get them pinned down and we also have another of our crew jake perry who does our underwater he joins us on this one, and uh, we had a very cool story that happened that Jake was a part of, so you get to hear his perspective on that. A swordfish attacked him in the water, seriously, and if you don't know about swordfish, they're no joke, no joke at all, and we actually got very lucky on this one. Nobody got hurt, so you'll hear that story, and you'll also hear the origins of both steve and scott how they got to be where they are today and the path that led them here so i am excited to bring you my friends steve roger and scott walker of end of the blue so here we are you guys ever done a podcast before
0: that's be my first buddy what do you think isn't it it as great as you imagine exciting as i thought it was when you were chasing me around a month ago (laughs) this is my first one
2: too but it feels just like a radio show and i've done plenty of those yeah it is what about you jake (laughs) <laughs>
4: now he's got Expect shell more of that, okay. that I get it.
0: as soon as you hit the record button clammed up he did earlier he wouldn't shut up he did
3: okay all right well so how did you guys uh so many people want to know
2: what how you got started with your fishing career who wants to go first scott no problem i i simple as that i was uh i was needed <laughs> my aunt and uncle had a boat and needed someone to wash it on weekends, so they'd, I got to go to the beach on weekends. Where hang is out. it? Where uh, is this? That'd be Ocean City, Maryland. And we'd take the boat out on a Friday, Saturday. Then I'd spend all day Sunday washing it for them while they'd get the beach house closed up and then back to school on Mondays. And By the time I was 14 years old, I started uh, washing boats and then blue fishing. And then that wasn't enough of a challenge for us. And then it was tuna fishing, marlin fishing, and traveling the world. It was really that simple. What about what about what did it look like to go from doing it as a hobby or something that you just love to do to doing it for pay? It had to happen. I couldn't be on the water enough. So, to be to satisfy my needs to be on the water all day, I had to start a charter business just so that I mean, you just can't fish on weekends when you get the bug. So, right. Where did the charter business start for you? Well, as much as we fished in Maryland, it was still a short season. So, we would put the boat away in the Chesapeake for the winter, and then my aunt and uncle would travel to different places for the winter vacations. And we ended up in Duck Key, Florida, uh, at the Indies Inn, which is now Hawkscare Resort. They fell in love with it and decided, let's uh, bring Why winter? Leave the boat in ice up there in Chesapeake Bay when we can move it down here, live on it, and fish all winter long on Christmas break, spring break, and stuff like that. I mean, a side note, I. I was quite a basketball player in high school, but I could never go. the I could never stay for the camps, so I ended up just playing high school and AAU level because I was never available for what the coaches wanted. <laughs> but it was fishing was more important to me. Went from weekends and vacations in the Keys to building a home, and then started charter fishing right there when Indies Inn transferred to Hawks K Resort. They needed all new boats, nice boats, and we were there right place, right time. Yeah. As simple as that. And then then you had your charter service there until what, a couple years ago? Until just three years ago. Started as my aunt and uncle with the boats were called the Huntress. And when they retired from fishing and uh, left the Keys to move to another part of Florida, I stayed and then started finding jobs in Maryland with people that were more than willing to bring their boat to the Keys for the winter, a nice place for the boat to be safe, for me to run it a little bit, and for them to have a nice place to come catch fish in the dead of winter up in maryland Hmm, that's cool what and then then on the other
3: side of the coin you two guys conk born and raised perry and i
0: yeah yep yep my uh what do you want the story yeah you ready for the story (laughs) yeah (laughs) hit it hit me with it i'm gonna hit you with it i guess for my start it was the fact that my parents my dad was a school teacher 35 years qs high school my mom worked at a uh a credit union, and I don't, you know, I don't think we were extremely well off, but we had uh, one car. They share. My dad used to ride me to school on the back of his bike, and uh, he'd drop me off, and he'd go to the teach at the high school, and you know, through that, my father would subsidize his income through commercial diving for lobster and spearing fish, and you know, fishing for yellowtail snapper, and so every weekend we'd spend. One of the boys, I had a brother, and one of us would spend the. Uh, the weekend with my dad fishing. The other one would be with my mom, and then we'd flop the following weekend. And I think that um, that income was needed. You know, he needed to sell those lobster, or it allowed him to, you know, pay for the house and 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 uh, and and be uh, prosperous being a school teacher. Because as you know, they don't pay school teachers much. So through that, I think that's what got me uh, on the water every day, just learning that uh, I can make money at it. Um, which is crazy to say. I mean, I loved it. Don't get me wrong, but I, I just, it was, to me, it was a way to 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 get outside, get fishing, and we were actually making money. So, you know, as a young age, I think, as my dad started, uh, we'd be on the boat, and uh, he had a partner, and he would we'd want to get paid, you know, because we were making money. And, we, and he'd say, oh, I can't pay you all, I can't pay you all. And he didn't want to, my dad's like, hey, we need to pay the boys. They're actually putting a lot of fish in the boat, we need to start paying the boys or, you know, they're getting older. They, they got girlfriends or whatever. We need to pay these boys. And, uh, he's like, well, let's just let them do their own cooler and see how that goes. So me and my brother were super stoked. We're like, Oh, our own cooler. Okay, cool. So we pull up the first spot. These old guys are trying to get their gear on. <laughs> we're already in the water, you know? Um, you know, we're coming up with, you know, hogfish and grouper speared. And we got, you know, next thing you know uh, you know, we got the cooler full and these old guys are like halfway there and they're like okay, well, let's give them uh, 3%, you know, and so it started there, and then we slowly, you know, got paid to go out with them, and then we started our, you know, doing our own thing. You know, I started just um, spearing fish whenever I could and commercial fishing, kingfish or whatever it was, and, uh, you know, ultimately we were doing lobster, making a lot of money. I, I mean, you know, there was, a, in the heyday, we were, I didn't have plans on doing much other than commercial fishing, you know. It was it was good money, and uh, am I supposed to keep going or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: none of that. <laughs> i'm I'm waiting to see how it turns into hook and line yeah
0: you mean guiding yeah 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 yeah. so basically how it turned into hook and line was i was at the marina we were commercial fishing and 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 it's different for people listening don't know about commercial fishing and we're not doing the deadliest catch we're not running these giant nets and we're not running these giant traps we were commercial fishing you know catching one fish at a time on a rod and reel you know diving crawfish catching one crawfish at a time we know snorkel gear scuba gear Uh, i was at the marina and a guide. some Bill Oliver, he'd been around forever. Some of the you know, original pioneers of, of this light tackle whole industry, you know, the whole IGFA, the Met or whatever, them keeping line records. I think a lot of that, I could be wrong, but a lot of that originated right there in South Florida, Miami, Key West. Everybody came from Miami to Key West to get involved in that great fishery.
3: And the Met, the and Met the,
0: tournament was huge. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so uh, this Bill Oliver had accidentally had two Sets of customers show up at the same time. He had messed up messed up on the books. So he was panicking a little bit. And then I just happened to be there and he looked over at me and he said, Hey Steve. And I'm like, Yeah. He's like, um, I need you to help me out. I'm like, well, what's that? And he goes, I need you to take these uh, these guys fishing. And I'm like, Well, Bill, man, I'm going spear fishing. I got my buddy coming, you know, we're gonna go out, it's crystal clear, there's a bunch of black groupers out there. I'm like, I don't know about that. He's like, Come on, I really need you to help me out. He says, I said, Well, I don't even know. He goes, I said, What are we gonna fish for? He goes, Tarpon. And I said, Well, I've never tarpon fished before. And he's like, "Oh, it's no problem. It's easy, man. You just just follow me." And I'm like, "Okay, so here I am, going to take my first charter. Never been tarpon fishing before, and I'm going to follow this guy around and just do as he does." So, you know, that's what we did. And I followed him out there, and he gave me these bags of trash off the shrimp boat, you know. And I kind of I got enough of it, but I just never fished in the harbor. There was no money to be made in there, so I didn't really go in there. And I just started cutting trash and drifting them back, just like we would for yellowtail or for mutton snapper or whatever else. And I think we ended up catching like 12 tarpon. Two 35 pound permit a giant cobia people were so stoked got back to the dock they handed me a wad of cash and i'm like okay i think i'm gonna be a fishing guy now you know because it just uh it was so much easier than starting out in the red you know when you're commercial right. fishing and diving and i was i was selling all the fish at the local restaurants and you know you you, you know i was scraping together the hundred dollars for the fuel tank that day and you know you didn't start making money until you put that hundred dollars back in your pocket and if it was dirty, you didn't do it sometimes, or if it was rough, or if the equipment fails, or you know the boat break down, it was tough. Yeah, so that was it, man. It was a, a really neat entry. And then I think the the skyrocketing of the guiding was when I started listening to like some of their customers getting off their boat, like me and Joe Green. Uh, I don't know if you remember Joe yeah, Green. Yeah, yeah, oh, of was course. He's, like originator of, of those little tiny jig heads and sandballing for those big muttons and all these things that nobody knew anything about. I mean, uh, th- these knots. I mean, all these these different knots these guys were tying. They, they were the real deal. He, his customers would get off the boat, and I'd, I'd hear them talking, and they'd be like, man, I can't believe we just paid that guy to yell at us like that all day. Jeez, <laughs> man, have you ever, I've never felt that way and so you know, humiliated. And he was very successful, but I think he, his passion was really to expect those people to know exactly what to do and how to do it and if they didn't, they got, they got their ass out. Yeah. There was no doubt. So I said, wow, okay, so let me take them out. So then I you know, obviously started taking a few of the overflow, and they would be like, uh, oh, my God, we actually didn't get yelled at at all. I mean, I, I made it a point that if people threw rods over the side, broke a rod, I didn't let it bother me. I, I just said, man, that kind of sucks. That was like a $200 rod. And then it normally would end up at the end of the day, the guy would throw me $400 and say, I'm really sorry about your rod. You know, sorry I broke your seat. You know, sorry yeah. I stepped on this. And, and so – I just kind of watched and and learned, and those guys were you know before me. Those four guys, you know, pretty much. Yeah,
3: I mean that time that time in the Florida Keys, there were a lot of guys that were known for yelling and being. It was kind of rough. And then like when you came in and I came in, that was that was a a a time when when there was like some like what you learned is, man, if I just add a little hospitality to this, and 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 really not a lot. Like if I just mm-hmm. don't yell at them.
1: Mm-hmm and maybe i don't catch
3: as many fish as they were catching but i'm not going to yell at them and then all of a
0: sudden you're full no you're spot on i mean these guys had zero personality they were running 350 days a year killing it um i mean i remember stories about like uh john boy on the kingfisher he would sleep on his boat in the barns and like people (laughs) would show up and they're like oh your captain's in there and he'd come coming up out of the build with beer cans all around him and and, you know he'd, he'd go out and follow somebody fishing and he'd He'd tell the captain next to him, he'd say, he'd tell his customers, he'd say, hey, when when that guy pulls his anchor to head home, uh, wake me up and then let me know and then we'll head home. But you know what I mean? Like he'd drive them out there and go to sleep sometimes, but it was a rough group. Hey, the same
3: thing was happening on the flats boats. I mean, like, hey, we're going to stake out right here. You wake me up when those tarpons start showing up. Yeah, exactly. And, and and that, you know, that's a totally different deal today because that that just wouldn't fly at all because once you start that hospitality and people realize they don't have to get yelled at and there are other options, they no longer go to those those people. But I mean that was the keys were hard it was a hard bunch of men down there when when I first showed up. I was like, dang man, these guys are tough.
0: Yeah. They they, they ran the show, man. That Oceanside Marina, that was a tight knit group. They were fighting and, you know, they were them old men were mad at each other even, you know, and and it's it's way different now. They'd lose their mind if they see, you know, this whole new deal. You know, these guys out here with three, four boats, you know, operating uh like a little company. You know, there's so many tourists there now that pretty easy to survive.
3: I mean there's been a lot of changes. So Jake, you grew up you grew up in Key West too. What kind of changes have you guys seen? All, all I mean, we've all been in and around the Keys for a long time, but between the times that you were a kid I mean, there were like no traffic, basically dirt roads in a lot of Key West. Like I ain't that old. You're not that old <laughs> for dirt roads. <laughs> <laughs> no. But what? If, what kind of? What are the main changes you've seen? Um, Come on, Jake. Thinking. <laughs>
0: and I'll nothing's tell you what, coming I, to
2: mind. It's a very small circle,
0: I, yeah. and no one gets inside of it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> He's trying to stay inside of the circle.
0: Once you hit that record button, dude, he clammed up. <laughs> he, he did. He clammed up. I tried to throw him a softball, yeah. but he, went, he missed it. Yeah, someone's going to catch. Um, his I, I try, I'll, I'll try not to get negative. You know what I mean on it, but a lot's changed, Tom. You see it, man. We, uh, my family and I, now we spend a lot of time out of there, and I schedule when I travel away from weekends and holidays uh, you can't just jump on that highway no more right you know in the old days man you jump on that highway two and a half hours you hit miami you know what i mean it, it was it was simple now there is something going on in every little city every other day and there's an event or a festival or and, and it's 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 packed but you know i'm sure the old timer said the same thing you know as i'm saying now but it's just busy yeah. That's what it is. It's very busy.
3: Yeah, so we, we all, um, we went from a, an area like the Keys that experienced bad hurricane last year, Irma, and here we are in an area that experienced a bad hurricane not, not very long ago. Probably two of the most resilient places that I know of. I mean, Venice, Louisiana, Key, and the Florida Keys. Like, oh yeah, storms often, but when they do come through, it's remarkable how quickly they recover and get back to business. Like, I mean, where we were today, Venice Marina, that place was underwater in uh, Katrina. And all of this, where we're sitting, this was basically all underwater.
2: And not man, not just w- 10 feet of water. Right. A 10 lot. Feet. No, we're sitting tw- 20 feet off the water right now. And this place was barely survived. Yeah. Uh, this was built after all yeah, that, wasn't it? Because yeah. of Katrina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they uh, built
3: it super high.
2: Absolutely. The they <laughs> stairs their, are kicking my butt, dude. <laughs> they just put their boots on and go back to work. Right. They don't complain. The key's the same way. You know, some people were hurt, were, were hurt more than others, but that's where the, the ones that weren't pitched in, and you get your neighbors up. You know, you do what you got to do in your yard, then you go help your neighbor a couple right. of Right, and we, we experienced that together right after, right after Irma this year. I
3: we went down with you. We couldn't get in. By car, so we went by by boat, and I thought, man, if I can, if I can do something to help you guys, then I, I will. And we went down there, and the, th- what I saw there was so similar to what I saw in Wilma. You know, we got hit with Wilma really bad, and and the the neighbors all pulled together. But they're on Duck Key. I mean, that is a particularly you you have a really special community there. And you know every single person. And we're going in everybody's house and emptying out their refrigerators. And then you've got your neighbor, I can't remember what his name was, but he's got all the heavy equipment yep. like the Captain I Bob. I mean, yep. Captain Bob got that place months ahead of the surrounding area. Before anyone's allowed in by car. Right. I mean, it, it was it's really special to see how the community will pull together and how quickly like I mean, like Robbie's, they were back up and running, feeding those tarpon. Built
2: the dock, you know right away. Bud and Mary's same well, deal. If you're not running, you're not making any money. It's just like you asked, what's changed? There are more boats in the Keys than I've ever been there in a period. Everyone has just enough available income now they can at least afford a boat. And if it, they're not fishing for dolphin or yellowtail snappers, they're on sandbars. They're everywhere. Besides the traffic on the road, the traffic on the water is just as heavy. And it's a tribute to the fact that everyone wants to live in the Keys. Yeah. And uh, they're willing to pay the price of getting hit by a storm. But, you know, if they get in the right neighborhood, the right friends, they're going to lose something. But within a few months, they're going to be, ba- you know, back the way they were.
3: Now, the Keys are 150 miles long. A lot of people that listen to this may want to go to the Keys, but may not have ever been there. And and when a storm comes through, like when Wilma came through, it really hit like where I was in Key Haven, just a couple miles up from Key West. Key West did okay but still got hit a lot harder. You got Isla Mirada that barely got or or or, or no, I'm not going to say barely duck, got duck anything. Key. Yeah, but I mean some places are a lot better off than others just because of of wind and where it's located and all that. But as far as this storm, it was it was a little more north although you you encountered some pretty significant
0: issues. Yeah, I think Big Copet uh, I think we were like right on the Beginning of where it got bad. If you just went pretty much from mile marker eleven to eighteen, anything north of that got pretty slammed. Yeah, um, these guys until
3: got,
2: you get to like north, uh, like Key Largo, kind yeah, of. Yeah, that's right. My, the people that stayed on Duck, I did evacuate, um, and the people that stayed in amrata that I talked to, the captains that uh, hunkered down, so they had ten hours, one hundred and forty mile an hour winds, ten hours. And plus, the storm surge came up uh, to three to five feet on all the places between Almorada and Duck Key where the streets turned into rivers. And Duck Key never flooded during Wilma. And I was confident it would never flood. But Wilma came from the bay side. And Irma came from the ocean side. And Duck Key went under almost three foot of water. Yeah, yeah.
3: And so how do you think in, in, you know, where, where do you think the keys are now compared to, you know, I mean, it was almost this time last year that, that that storm came through. I think uh, September 9th, or wasn't it something like that? So, so we're just just over a year later, and from from my, it's been remarkable. That's what the, I, the word the I changes.
2: Would use. Yeah, I was I was I've been home every day. I didn't travel as much this year since the storm. So I had seven seven months on Ducky every day, cleaning up after the storm, helping my neighbors, and trying to get life back to normal. And then I left for my summer trip to Maryland. I was gone three months. Just, and I just got home a week ago this, just for this shoot. So I, was, I finally had left Ducky for the first time in seven months since the storm. And I just got home a week ago, and I noticed that the island looked remarkable. I didn't think the green would be back. Uh, the palm trees would be back. But the Keys are, I mean, they've been going through these cycles way longer than we have. And the trees and all the local stuff that's supposed to be there, Dead, it, but that's just its way of regenerating I mean that, The the mangrove to me is probably
3: the most remarkable plant. I mean, when we were down there right after the storm, everything was brown. If you took a satellite photo of the keys, the keys would be brown, and those trees they look all gnarled and and beat up anyway. But when the leaves are off of them, they look as dead as dead can get. And then you're like, well, those are never coming back few months later, they got, they got leaves on. Them. I mean, it's, a, I, I find that to be amazing that that plant can handle that kind of wind and being underwater and actually growing, you know, I mean, they grow right on the salt water, but that's gotta be the toughest plant in the world. But yeah, the, I, I find the keys and this area of Louisiana to be, to be quite similar. I mean, you got, it's a, basically a peninsula that's coming down and the keys that there, it's just a chain of islands. It's all connected by a bunch of bridges to the end of the road. And here in Venice, it's the same thing. It's just the end of the road. And here we have this Mississippi River that creates one of the great, it has to be one of the greatest sport fishing areas in the entire world. Do you guys see similarities between the Keys and, and Venice, both with the personalities and the, the storms and kind of everything that has to go into
2: it? I mean, so there's fishing generated incomes for is half of it. More so here. Well, no, let's not do, they got oil here. You got roughnecks and fishermen side by side. In the Keys, you have tourism and fishing. Throw a little diving in there. But yeah, that's all generated about the, the beautiful water. That's I mean, It's brown here, but it's prolific. It's so full of fish and opportunities from freshwater bass to catching a swordfish. It's all right there on any given day. the Keys, you can go catch a mangrove at the dock or a swordfish. Uh, if you want to, there's just, it's the fishing brings everyone back.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've always said that if Venice had the restaurants and the nightlife that QS have, we'd be out of business Yeah, because the fishing is spectacular. Yeah, it is. Different, different.
3: You know what they don't have is they don't have wintertime warm weather. Right. I mean, like it gets cold here. Right. And I think that you're not going to have somebody from, from New York decide, That that Venice is a great place to go in January, right? But those
0: tourists that travel in that spring and early fall, I'm with you because I mean people get away from the cold and they go to the Keys. But as far as just the amount of fish that I see hit the docks here, it is ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, like
3: that when we were sitting there eating lunch today, we were at the Venice Marina, and that's just a place where work gets done. I mean, every charter captain that pulls in has a limit of something a limit of something and there is a fish cleaning table there that has to be outside of a commercial fish house in in you know place like the keys or or you know like a california place or someplace where they're bringing in serious fish i don't know if there's another fish pound cleaning pound, no way a cleaning station that yeah. has cl- seen as many fish come across it as as the venice marina
0: this one guy i mean he had <laughs> trout that was the, the, his pile was eight feet long and three foot <laughs> wide, and they were like five high. <laughs> Electric knives buzzing as and fast I mean, as they can go. Then I peeked my head around the corner, and then there was like another guy with a pile <laughs> the same size. Now I look around the other corner; a guy got a pile just like that of redfish. I mean,
3: and it, then here come the tuna boats.
0: Yeah, and there was seven more bay boats waiting to unload their fish to uh, to clean them. So. Yeah, it's
3: really incredible, but it's it's the Mississippi River. I, I think this trip. I, I really thought that we did really well on this trip because we had this front that was coming in. And I saw, I saw this on the, on the radar before we even started to, to move towards this area. I thought, man, this front, you know, you could see it coming across the country. Thinking, like, man, that's going to get us. And, and so day one, we did pretty good, and, and it didn't really hit us until yesterday. But we, we had a good trip. I mean, I thought this trip was was as good, if, if not even better, than some of the, the other trips that we've been.
2: Well, we were able to fish for what we wanted to every day. We didn't have to, like, settle. I mean, we've gladly gone red fishing if we couldn't get on the ocean, but we didn't have to deal with wind over 15 knots, and generally, it was uh, 10 knots the whole time. Yeah, a couple That's, of rainstorms here yeah, and yeah, there. If we had gots. a wave, it was wind-driven from a little thunderhead. That's, That's rare, qu- man. Well, I'll tell you what's rare
3: is when we show up someplace that the wind's not blowing 50.
0: Well, I, thought, I thought <laughs> if it was If coming happen. to town, don't visit. <laughs> I, I was watching the weather. I was watching these guys and what they were catching prior to us coming, and it was slick every day. And I'm like, oh, there goes our days. There's our days. <laughs> there That's goes our the days. Should have been us. Should have been us. And uh, I just stopped looking. I didn't even want to know. You know, and um, yeah, we, we, we made out. I mean, it was a little bouncy, but, you know, I think we, I think it was better because I judge it by the fact that we got in sometimes when the sun was still up you yeah. know what i mean because oh, yeah. i mean the, the time before we've been here we had a pump you know hump it now we had great catches but we had to hump it a little bit you know maybe this was off or that was off um work a little harder or go a little further but the, the fishery seemed a lot closer this time The shrimp boats you know we we targeted more on that i think the time before it was more of a the floaters, rate. 85 so, floaters, miles. Yeah.
3: So we also fish the shrimp boats in, in the Keys, but this is a different deal. I mean, first of all, you got yellowfin tuna versus blackfin tuna. I mean, we have blackfin up here, but they treat the blackfin almost like we treat the Bonita down there. Like, not, not interested. Uh, we're here for the yellowfin. Blackfin is a nice second place, but it's—and then the Bonita are, are nuts, and they're huge. <laughs> but I don't know. Those, those, uh, those shrimp boats, I like that. I like that whole— the way that they do that here and i wonder i wonder how that really started as far as as you know these guys that are looking for the tuna how do you think that got started i mean like you
0: you were doing it in the keys how did that stories i heard was you know these guys were were basically getting the bait to catch these tarpon and that there that, that was a huge tarpon fishery i mean that's it was so important to key yeah. west
3: well at key and, but there was a there was a shrimp there was a shrimp fishery factory yeah, right there, right? So they would yeah. bring the shrimp in, and then what I— and this is a little bit before my time, but they would get the shrimp heads, and they would chump for bonefish with the shrimp heads. They'd chump for tar—I mean, you could chump for anything with shrimp head, like a 50-pound sack of shrimp heads, and that was easy. And for some reason, that went away, and you couldn't get that any longer. And so some people were like, well, let's
0: just go straight to the boat, and they've got all this other stuff. That's how I heard it played out from some of the guys is— is basically these guys were running out there for the bait. And through passing the bait back and forth, you know, something <laughs> hit the water. Ooh. And the customer was like, okay, so why are we going to run back to Key West to fish for tarpon? Like, do you see that there's like 400 tunas here and, you know, a bunch of amberjacks and a bunch of cobias? I, I think somewhere in that. But I'm sure those guys were out there even fishing in the Gulf, fishing on the shrimp boat wrecks. Because um, that's the only wrecks we have out there. There's a few... Uh, wrecks from like World War II or or what have you, but I think a majority of those wrecks are, are old shrimp boats that have sank, and they're all wooden boats back then, and they had ice on them, so they had to come in. These guys, uh, I think they were, you know, they saw what was happening behind those boats. I mean, whether it was the sharks or the tunas or the, you know, just the, the sea life. Well, you got to believe that the
2: guys actually working on shrimp boats... Told them something too. yeah. Said, listen, we've shoveling the stuff overboard, and I don't know much, but... There's more tunas here than I've ever seen anywhere. And maybe that guy got off that shrimp boat, got onto a charter boat and said, you know, if you really want to catch something, I was working on that shrimp boat 40 miles over there and there was all the blackfin tunas you ever wanted. And then the right captain goes, huh. And then, you know, secondhand right. news turns into next but then, tomorrow's you headlines. Know, you
3: also have to see that that's got to evolve a little bit because at that time, probably you're running a 25 foot single engine boat. So 40 miles, it has to be the right day. It has to be okay. And, and then you have to get on the radio or, or you have to come directly off of that boat. And then, then, you know, it kind of evolves. Now you got the twin engine boats. Now, now they get a little bigger than, then today. I mean, there's no shrimp boat in the Gulf of Mexico that, that these guys can't hit now. I, I bet you that the way that the keys started and the way that this started is kind of similar, kind of like, huh, wonder what's going on over there. And the next thing you know, there's like a 200 pound yellowfin tuna.
0: Oh, yes. Well it's crazy cuz I actually recognize some of the boats here. Really? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. From I used to deal with them down in Key West. So I thought it was really cool because listen, none of those boats in the Keys, there's like three shrimp boats out of Key West. One's Jake's neighbor. There's like another dude that it's got by chance he bought his slip in Safe Harbor cuz there's nowhere for the shrimp to tie up anymore. I know you, the old days at the Key West Harbor itself where where the Raw Bar is, where the Conch Republic Seafood Company is, where where all the action is, and all the big yachts now that was all shrimp boats and and the fishery was huge uh and i think a lot of guys started traveling and finding the shrimp but when we're out there they're from alabama they're from texas yeah. they're they're from louisiana they're not the weather's too west. tough here yeah the weather's too much
3: and then the then there's that story about the key west shrimp you know being a nocturnal shrimp and and the guys, I mean, you probably know way more about that. Is that, a, is that an urban legend or
0: or what? That- from from what I heard, and I could be wrong, but I always took it as, because that's the difference I noticed between Key West and Louisiana. These boats we're fishing in Louisiana are moving, and they're shrimping 24-7. They are shrimping during the day, and you're pulling up behind a moving boat. You're throwing bait behind the moving boat trying to pull the fish off. You drift off. You You take some fish with you. In Key West... All the boats are sleeping during the day. They work all night long, and and what I was told the to reason, and Jake might have the answer better than I do, but it, it was because they catch too much fish. They can't shrimp during the day because they just there's too much fish, you know. And uh, maybe it's the sand, a different type of bottom that we have as versus up here. But if they pull the nest during the day, they just it, the, the fish is too much fish, you know, too many you know little fish, white fish or what yeah. have you. Um, so they just wait till night, and then their catch. Is a majority shrimp and crabs and things that you know are more or heck, you know what? The water's so dirty here. These shrimp might think it's nighttime. Right. That's why they catch them <laughs> during the day. You know, but but where we were actually catching the
3: yellowfin, that water was beautiful. Yeah, I mean that you were in the water. How clear was it? It wasn't very clear. wasn't <laughs> very Wasn't <laughs> very clear. It was a as lot clearer than the river. Yeah, <laughs> as as far as comparing that to where where you fish in Key West,
4: uh, it's it's brown here in Key West. When it gets dirty, is white. You know, so you got the river water coming out. Which is brown and then it's a majority freshwater. Well, it's all freshwater when it's brown there and then it's mixing with the ocean. But that brown water just kind of rides on top of the ocean and because it's freshwater floats. And
0: (laughs) yeah, listen, you're talking to like a spear fisherman out of Key West, and we like one thing we like that water to look like a glass, like you get a, a glass out of your kitchen sink and you fill it with water. And that's what we're looking for. And that's what gets us jacked up and fired up. And to get in, and we, and we, listen, we all know about sharks, we've all seen tons of sharks. Uh, we've all had our personal experiences with sharks, and it's just nice to see it coming. You know what I mean? Like anything, yeah. like, if you, like if you're going to get punched in the face and you know it's coming, it's kind of like, okay, but the sucker punch will get you. You know what I yeah. mean? Like you ain't getting up from that. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? Like, but if you see this guy coming at you and he punches you, you almost got one to come back at. And, and, and that's how I feel about the sharks, and I think Jake's the same way. I mean, he's that, he, you don't want to get your ass bit in the dirty water. Without, right. You don't want to, you know, you want to see it coming. Were you were you nervous at all this trip?
4: Um, I'm nervous every time I'm working for you guys. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I thought, you get in everywhere. You, just going
0: to dinner. I thought you did this because you like it. This <laughs> actually works. <laughs> I, I was trying
4: to figure out yesterday while I was doing it. And I couldn't come up with an
3: answer. Well, yesterday that was the day. <laughs> that was the day where if you were going to have some doubts, that might have been a good uh, one. I have
4: doubts all the time, you know. And you guys took that cobia and you drifted off the rig, and I couldn't see my feet. Yeah. And I was on that rig by myself, and the camera boat's <laughs> out of sight, and you guys are drifting away, and I'm just. Okay, now what? Now what are we gonna do?
0: What about you know? Did you did you see a ladder or anything that you could climb up? That Uh, uh, that Joker, I was eyeballing it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We never leave you behind. But
4: but yeah, now that water is dirty on top. Yeah, dirty. I mean, you can't see your feet
0: it's a morale killer tom like i don't know how much time you spent you know snorkeling for the lobster maybe with your family when you were living there in key but basically it's a morale killer you know if you spend any amount of time spearfishing or swimming or snorkeling or scuba diving or sightseeing or tropical fish collecting or whatever you wake up in the morning a lot different when you know it's going to be dirty you know you don't even want to go you're like like when the wind's blowing hard hey we're we're commercial diving lobster me and jake we still do it you know we try to get it done a little bit every year you know and and uh we, we dove together this year. You know, if it was dirty, you know, he, uh, we, we went out on the South side and it was supposedly some unbelievable amount of crawfish on the South side. So we went out there and it's a morale killer. Cause Jake, he'll tell you, man, I was like, Jake, how's the, he, he, you know, it's it just, it's, it's not the same when you can't see what you're doing, yeah. you know,
4: we, we couldn't see the bottom from the top. Yeah. And you we'd know, go down you,
0: there and feel around, we'd lose the spot. So he'd go, he'd come up and he'd say, Oh, there's 30 in this rock. And then he'd go back down, and that rock's not there anymore. Whereas when it's clear, you can just sit there and hover, and it's just a lot easier on your body and a lot, uh, a lot less swimming around looking. I think when you use your eyeballs in that dirty water, it's burning oxygen. You know, you're you're trying to find what you're doing. Whereas if it's clear, you don't yeah. have to struggle and look for stuff. Yeah, well, I
3: mean that's that's the, the key to holding your breath a long time is absolutely being it, it, totally relaxed. So if, yes. you're, if you're if you're concerned yeah. about a shark, you know, yeah. or if you're or you can't find what you're looking for. You're not going to be able to hold your breath yeah. as long.
4: All those video clips on that that oil platform where the water was dirty—they're short. <laughs> they're real short. <laughs> <laughs> the Heart was beating fast, and the clips are short. That clearer water is long clips. Yeah.
3: You know. So yesterday we we catch a swordfish, and you have a little encounter with a swordfish. What what yeah. happened?
4: What happened? Well, made a mistake. <laughs> what, what you was know? Looked back
3: on that, and the, the mistake was
4: getting between the fish and the boat. Yeah. That's a DMZ. That's no man's land. You don't go there. I went there, and um, I found out why you don't do it.
3: Well, explain why. Like, why? Like, but, because you're saying don't get, between, don't get between the fish and the boat because the fisherman, you're talking about a hooked fish, and yeah. the fisherman is actually pulling the fish towards to you. So boat. if the fish decides to turn to you, there's no resistance. That's right. right?
4: That, that's one thing. But since the fishermen are pulling him to the boat, too, that's what's trying to catch him. That's his problem. And he can see— the boat and he sees his problem and you're part of it. You get in between them. He was, I believe just trying to defend himself or, you know, he's,
0: yeah, absolutely. he wasn't going lightly. Yeah. You that, know? F- that fish was not and I was between them. Yeah. That fish was not charging the boat at other times because he was fighting us. He's like, listen, whatever is messing with me is coming from that object. And so he, he's like, man, what is this? Why can't I swim away? Why can't I go back down to the bottom where I want to go? And then old Perry got in there and he's like, Oh,
3: well, well, when you watch the video, why. and we'll put the video in the, sh- in the show notes, we'll put the video in the show notes, we'll put the pictures of what we're about to talk about in the show notes, and you can go to com and you can look at, this, at all this stuff that we're talking about and get a better idea of what's going on. But what happened, it, we, we've looked at this video over and over and over again, and even done, Jason Stemple showed us how to, how to just move it frame by frame. And this swordfish is coming from the right to the left on the hook. Jake kind of pulls in front of it, like he's talking about, and he gets between the boat and the swordfish. And he, all of a sudden, the swordfish is going right to left. And then he goes, he sees Jake and makes a conscious decision. This swordfish, like, oh, you're the problem. Yeah. Whoom! And does a 90 degree turn and comes and slams into you
4: yeah he hit and me pretty
3: hard pretty hard so he w- we started we we created jake and jake and i started trying to figure out how we could do a better job with the underwater on this deal jake had an idea that maybe one of these scooters would be a good idea and, and if you don't know what that is it's like a seadoo makes it and it's got a battery pack in it it's got a, basically a big propeller on the back with a with a guard on it and Jake holds onto these handlebars that have a little little throttle control and we've mounted the cameras on top of that so he can go down just like we're talking about if you have to kick your feet and chase after these fish you no matter who you are or what how how long your breath hold is you're burning up all your oxygen doing that so now he can go use this scooter and go right up next to the fish without burning any oxygen you're able to stay down way longer mm-hmm. and it also in this case provided basically a shield for you because mm-hmm. it's, it's out in front of you, which yeah. I know you like for the sharks. <laughs>
4: <laughs> for sure. For but, sure.
3: But, I mean, I'm telling you what, man, we've done a lot of crazy stuff and we've seen a lot of, of fish that you just jump right in with. And I don't think it's going to – I mean, I'm like, man, that like a hooked tiger shark at the boat and you're just no problem going right down the side. And I'm thinking, man, that is a hooked fish. That fish is going to behave differently than just a regular – fit I
0: know, I know i know you've swam with tons of sharks but the ones that make me really nervous no are the, what he are the bumps into ones. what he's bumping into he's biting right so even exactly. if he's not he's scared to death sharks like oh my gosh i want out of here we release him if he accidentally bumps into you yes you're getting bit 100 percent because he's mad
3: and you we've all seen it where a lemon shark or something turns around bites his tail and is in a physical donut <laughs> holding on to his tail with his with his mouth and will not let it let his own tail go he won't let his own tail go. He's not letting <laughs> your
0: leg go. <laughs> yeah. Well, what usually happens in that case, I, I've been bit by a lemon. The, the damage is done when you pull away. Really? You know, yeah. Cause if, if you and, and I always uh, you know, a kid, I'm like, so the best move is to sit there and maybe try to get him, you know, pull his mouth off of you or whatever. But when you pull away, that's when you tear, tear every everything. single thing. So
3: you're telling me that as a kid, you have the presence of mind to sit there. With a lemon shark biting your leg? Yeah, well, that
0: was after I got bit, and I pulled away. (laughs) And and the damage was pretty bad from pulling away. So I said, next time I got bit, I'm not going to pull away. I'm going to poke him in the eyes or whatever I got to do to try to get him off. And I know that's very hard, but, man, pulling away, them teeth are designed to hold.
3: Right. And they're pointed back. They
0: all go back. And when you pull away, and and I'm sure that's how it's designed. You're going to bleed to death. or You know, it's going to do a lot more damage. Now, that's easier said than done, I'm sure. Because uh, a lot of people pull away quick when something ain't, ain't right, you know? Right. I mean, that's that's obviously the natural
3: reaction is to get your arm your out of that shark's mouth or your leg or whatever. But, man, that talk about presence of mind, that is, that's unbelievable. Yeah, I haven't
0: so, done it yet. I'm, I keep telling myself I'm going to do
3: that, <laughs> you know? That's what I'll do next time. <laughs> but did you have any idea that, I mean, I think we've all heard about swordfish, you know, hitting divers and stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah. That's just not the one that I thought we would have a problem with.
4: Well, I always imagined at some point it would be, and it was, you know, and getting back to how fast things change. Um, when I, I had one of those cameras set to take photos every, um, well, three frames per second, three photos per second. So it was taking a photo every 0.3 seconds. When we looked at them, there was a photo of the fish, you know, in the camera and, the, and, and it took a photo of his bill in the scooter and then the the one right before it he was 15 to 20 feet away so he moved from 15 feet to 20 feet away completely sideways to in the camera stuck in the camera in less than 0.3 seconds
3: right and we were we were watching this video over and over again you and I were last night and before Jason Stemple showed us how to do the frame by frame mm-hmm. and so we're I'm going I wonder how many times he 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 wagged his tail you know put you know really kicked his tail before he came at you and i'm trying to count but it happened so fast and then when jason showed us that it was it was a 90 degree turn and then four tail kicks as hard as a swordfish can can kick and what happened was that the bill went into the to the nose cone of this scooter and i i explained it to somebody today like if you were to take a railroad spike and put it into uh, a railroad tie with a sledgehammer. And we have all, each one of us, have tried to pull the remaining six inches of this bill. So the bill went in six inches and then broke off. And you can see it, it happened in seconds. And uh, we've all tried to pull this it's out. It's like Excalibur like sword. <laughs> like It's in the, it's in it's the stone. In it's not coming out. I don't think it's coming out. It's really no, a, thing. No, you I mean, take but it went in I do inches. want it. Let's get it. I don't Send know how we're going to do, the do factory. it. factory. So get this out, yeah, Don't I, break
0: I it. I think it goes back to that. That fish is a whole nother animal. You've always heard people say, uh, talk about it. Those guys on the West Coast, they talk about the bills are like in the bowels of some of those boats. That, that fish, and Scott's caught more of them than any of us, you know, here in this room. And it's just got an attitude, you know, it's a, it's a different deal. I, it's hard to explain. I think it spends its life with the makos. I think a mako was created to eat swordfish,
3: but a mako, but a swordfish was created to fend off the mako. Exactly, exactly. Right. He's I mean, if they survive. live
2: together and they pre- and, yeah. and I, one's a predator, I, I, I've talked to longliners who have caught makos in the Gulf of Mexico that over 800 pounds that have had multiple swordfish bills snapped off inside their mouth. But because their move is to take the tail out, then the bill and then let the carcass float for days while they feed on it. That's their move. Tail built. But the, on the other hand, the sword, that was the only way to defend himself. It's not to put, it's to get that eye, you know, get the, the head of the mako. Huh. So you know, these sorts have to be some incredible undersea wars between a big sword and the makos. Yeah. The, but
0: I'm saying, like there's no, <laughs> it, the difference is this. It, it, sharks are not after you out of, Vendetta, you know, right? uh, You know what I'm saying. The shark is after you because he's hungry. He wants to bite you. you Not bite you, but you know what I'm saying. He wants to eat. He's after you because you just shot a fish. He's after you because you look like a sea turtle. He's after you because you know whatever the case may be. He he mistakes you for food. Uh, I'd never ever would think that a shark on a hook is going to turn around. I don't think they got the capability. And I could be wrong. I probably make a bunch of people mad, but I don't think they're smart enough. To relate those situations and turn and say, "Okay, I'm going to bite that guy, and that's going to end this problem." Yeah, but, I just don't feel that with that fish.
3: But do you feel like if there's a hooked fish and and the diver comes near it, that it might think, "Okay, that's obviously my problem." Like, I, or I'm just turning and biting anything and everything.
0: I, I think it's. I think yes, he's going to turn and bite anything, everything. But I spent a lot of time in the water, and I just I can't ever say. Oh, this tarpon, you know, he's two hundred pounds. He's going to go after the diver, and I'm not saying bite him or whatever, but ram him. Or this sailfish is going to go after the diver. You, you know, we've swam with millions of sail, not millions, but a ton of sailfish, and never have had an issue. You know, I I just think that fish is a level up. Uh, You know what? I'm a badass. I run the show. You know what I mean?
3: Well, the swordfish. I mean, when we did the first swordfish show that that we ever caught one on Into the Blue, we did a really nice um, feature just on a swordfish, and we talked to some scientists and stuff like that, and I was just amazed at what a badass that fish is at period. I mean, they live. How, t- Scott, tell us about what is a, where is a swordfish making his living? What is he doing, and how does he go
2: from the bottom to the top like no other fish? Because he, he has the ability to warm his brain, just like the big bluefin tuna. So atmospheres don't bother them. So they can, they can feed all day long, all night long. They come to the surface. The greatest migration on Earth is not the plains of Africa. The greatest migration on Earth is the travel from the deep to the surface every night. When you say the, deep, how, to, how deep are you talking? The bottom of the ocean. Everything on the bottom of the ocean rises to the surface uh, after sundown. It's, a, it's the microorganisms, the squid, everything. And the sword rises up with them and goes down with them. Because he has a 24-hour feedback, and I know that I just know from personal uh, tagging swords that 10 years ago, maybe 15, I tagged about a 35-pound swordfish, way undersized, circle hook, but he came up dead. In my opinion, he was dead. I filled out, I tagged it, I filled out my card, and I sent it in to National Marine Fisheries or the Billfish Foundation. And you know, I felt bad for the fish, but I did my due diligence. I filled out the paperwork, sent it in.
0: But you called it dead, you know, in your I, mind.
2: I thought it was dead. And three years later, I get a, a little email letter from the Bill Fish Foundation with a hat and, uh, you know, thanks for releasing. Here's, here's the information on this fish. Three years later, the fish was caught in North Carolina by a longliner, and it was 300 pounds.
3: So just, Come to, on be cl-
2: just to be clear, you, you thought it was dead, and you had to let it go by law. Right. To, and to- I tagged it anyway. Right. And filled out tag card and sent it in. And it was they want to know. I mean, they're, they're trying to, they're, they want to know if they're released live, dead, what condition. I said, condition, dead. Circle hook, dead. And then three years later, it was recaptured uh, on a long line. It was 300 pounds. 300, what made 300 think,
0: pounds in three years. What made you think dead? The blood or the... Ooh, it uh, wasn't moving. Wasn't moving. Yeah. The lack of black slides. <laughs> no, it wasn't
2: bleeding. The circle hook went in the mouth and it came out that soft spot underneath the eye. It was, you know, I used a lot of bigger hooks when we first started this. I said that, that's just terrible. You know, I felt like man, I'm trying to catch them, and and I, I can't keep it by law. I could I could have eaten it, but no. We law said you got to let them go, and that's what you do. So I let it go. I filled out my paperwork. Didn't think anything of it again. Three years later, turns out the law was right. Yeah, three hundred pounds. Dang. In three years, but think about it. They can eat squid twenty four hours a day. So it's,
3: that that's interesting because that to me a swordfish looks like a very old fish. Like you see one of these big swordfish. But that story
2: tends to think—you you, you would tend to think that they're putting on about 100 pounds a year. Well, that, when I think—knowing what I know and watching dolphin like we do year-round here in the Keys, come, come April, we're catching the big ones. Then June, they're not as big. Then July, you, you struggle to catch a big fish. There's so many 12 to 14 inches as far as the eye can see. And then, you know, you find out from science that a 20-pounder is one-year-old. <laughs> 15 to 20 pounds, one-year-old. So uh, why can't the swordfish do the same thing? I mean, obviously, they're fast-moving, and they have a f- constant food source. Dolphins have a constant food source with the Gulf Stream and the sargasm that they live in. So why—and you know, they're, they're eating little teeny fry, mostly juvenile billfish and stuff. But a, a swordfish is eating squid from day one, and that's a bigger protein snack. And more and more—when you do catch them and their stomachs are full— a uh, 100-pound swordfish can have 15 pounds of squid in their belly, right? I mean, you've seen it. So they can either have three big ones or they can have 30. They, you can't fit another one in there, and yet they ate your bonita strip. Right. That yeah. that crazy,
3: that lead that Jordan showed us blew me away. Yeah, absolutely. So, so these guys are dropping, what, 10 pounds of lead? Six, eight, and 10-pound lead sticks. It's lead they're about 12 sticks. to 14 inches long. Yeah, they are as, almost as big around as a beer bottle. And they're dropping that down to what? How sixteen hundred feet. feet? And so that takes a long time to get down there. And that ha- it looks like someone took a took a a file and just just filed into it, but that's not what happened at all. A swordfish just beat the hell out of that thing and lead, I mean, lead's
2: not very, you know, it's not like it's steel, but it's a little softer. But man, and the way forced to bend it for starters. It it. Imagine imagine a stick of dynamite like the Roadrunner would be using. And it was bent with almost two inches, that's three inches up of inch and a half thick lead, and then the gashes. There was twenty gashes on this one lead. Yeah. he said it was one drop, one fish. It was early in his career. So he really he was trying to hook his first one, and nothing was going on. That the rods going, bomb, bomb, bomb. and they're just not hooking, just not hooking. When they finally, the episode ended, they winded up to see what's going on. Maybe their hooks turned over or something, and the lead. Was what the thing was beating sea on. monsters
0: down there, man? <laughs> beating on it, <laughs> yeah. You, to not lose interest, you know what I mean? That's gotta. I know hurt a little bit, but apparently <laughs> those guys, they're it tough. Was, it was almost as stupid as that dolphin you caught yesterday. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That was amazing.
3: That's we had a right. giant dolphin as we're releasing. So I'm on the camera boat, and and these guys are are wrapping up the show and releasing this, or putting the the sword in the in the coffin box and. I look down and I see what appears to be a 60 pound dolphin swimming right off the bow of the camera boat and I'm I'm jumping up and down and trying not to yell too much but I'm also realizing that this thing is probably gonna swim off into the glare, we'll never never see it again and finally get somebody's attention. I'm like 60 pound dolphin, 60 pound dolphin, 60 pound dolphin and they scramble. Steve, you always have prepared, like one of your MOs is you should always have a jig or you should always have a lure right something that you can throw and pretty much every shoot that spinning rod ends up somewhere there's a there's a lure that usually catches everyone's shirt as you walk by but it paid off paid off yesterday
0: big time absolutely that but that fish you know that that made the show really and truly because we were coming off of this crazy high five in session on the fact that we just you know we actually pulled the hook on this swordfish at the boat you know this fish was done the swivel was at the tip and it was time to gaff him and as he reaches over to gaff the fish the hook pulls and you see the squid fly out of his mouth fly to the other side of the boat and we're all i'm like oh no and luckily jordan was quick and fast and he stuck that fish while it was still getting its wits about itself between losing half its bill and jake's (laughs) scooter and just getting yanked up from the bottom uh, he stuck him before he got away. But as we were just all just totally stoked that this thing didn't learn, uh, you know, turn into another lost fish because we had already lost two swordfish prior to that. It's just hard doing a show without the the money shot, and that fish was the money shot for all of us, you know. At any rate, uh, you know, and I, we, I, one of us heard you say dolphin, and I, I ran back and snatched that uh, that lure. Well, I threw it out there, and I and I, I didn't even know where the fish was. I didn't even care. I just knew I needed to throw it real far. Because I didn't want to be short on them. A lot of times when fish are cruising, they're not going to turn around. But if you put it in front of them, they're going to bite it. So I threw it as far as I could off the bow, not even really paying attention to where or try to... I didn't even try to find him visually. Uh, I popped that thing a bunch. Nothing, 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 nothing. I didn't realize he was only 30 yards away. But I threw this thing like (laughs) 60 yards or 50 yards or whatever. And and then he saw it at like maybe 30 yards off the bow. And I'm coming. And he's chasing it, chasing it. And basically... I had the lure two feet from the rod tip, and I was doing like that musky stuff you see on TV yeah. where they like swing the <laughs> yeah. rod around in circles, uh, because I was out of line to reel in, and he was chasing it right there, and I couldn't get him to get it. so I, I think I made another quick cast. He ate it, and we're all, whoo, you know all jacked up, and he jumps and spits it, and we're like, "Oh no. So Scott fires a lure. He's Scott, and we're hooked up, and we're like, "Sweet, you know everybody's all happy again, And then it jumps and spits his lure out. So I fire again at it, I snag it in its back, I tear its dorsal fin in half. So now you see this big white, like stripe on his back, and I'm like, oh my God, this sucks. It's over. <laughs> Three strikes, you're out. That's the that's that's the way it works. Baseball and fishing. I threw it again and he piled on it. And yeah. He ate it and I set the hook like nobody's business.
3: And and this all happened in a in a span of I mean, between the time that the sword gets in the boat and the dolphin gets in the boat. I mean, we're really talking less than a minute
0: no there's a swordfish flopping around on the yeah. on the
3: deck it's, it's flopping around on the deck and and then in less than a minute we missed this this dolphin four times or three times and then finally hook up and what was crazy about it too was that jordan was so jacked up I mean, this guy played linebacker for two lane and he is no joke and uh he's already you know got the gaff in his hand and he's just waiting that fish made one jump and actually jump you know towards how the boat. <laughs> yeah it jumped towards the boat and like they they hit and kind of glide well he glid the wrong
0: way <laughs> and jordan was like yes got it yeah. That fish went from free swimming to in an icebox. Like, normally, I mean, w- we'll have to take out the fighting of fish. Like, when we're catching sailfish or we're catching tarpon or permit. You know, in a show, you only got so much time, so we don't show the fight. We just try to kind of show the hookup, show the catch. Well, this one, you don't have to take anything out. You can show the whole thing, and it literally is going to be 30 seconds.
3: Yeah. From that, box to bite. Yeah, I just thought that, that just summed up. that just summed up basically saltwater fishing. Completely. Why people are addicted. Th- that, Yeah, why they're addicted. But also the whole, like yesterday was just, just it, w- it was just perfect. You couldn't describe saltwater fishing better than yesterday. And it is an intense amount of rigging, an intense amount of paying attention to the details, a long journey. And then I couldn't believe it. But, I mean, one drop and you're on. Loss. A tremendous amount of boredom. Followed by, okay, finally we've got it, and this is probably gonna be our day. Uh also there's weather coming in, a horrible lightning storm coming in, and then just this amazing amount of excitement and action in a very small amount of time that just I mean, it that that is that is saltwater fishing. Yeah, like, and,
0: and and it's and, and, and the difference too is with TV, you know, it's tough on us. I mean, a lot of times we're like, you guys are our cheerleaders and you're like, okay guys how about some enthusiasm and i'm like uh-huh like i'm not excited about this kingfish. you know what i mean it's a kingfish and uh okay yay look scott i'm hooked up and you know we're trying to be excited and, and but i love it when that kind of situation unfolds because that is a true natural reaction to why we're there Uh, why people are spending this kind of money to come out to venice why people travel around the world why people have four hundred thousand dollar outboard boats because you can't buy that feeling that we had in that block right there
3: right and uh for me and why i like to tell the story is exactly for that like that's the story that ultimately we're trying to tell on the television show is 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 that like exactly what happens and the the natural raw emotion and all of that stuff? It doesn't always happen, you know. Sometimes, sometimes it's tough. I mean, you know, Not people so. people ask a lot about how long does it take to film a TV show. You know, I mean, if we told somebody three weeks, they wouldn't be that surprised. I mean, uh-huh. but but often it happens early, but but sometimes it's sometimes it's really tough. And I mean, I find I'd like to know what you guys think is the most difficult part about
0: filming a TV show because I got my ideas. I think mine is, is, is when I'm driving the boat, I, I revert back to, let me get this done. Let me find these fish. Let me, you know, the, everybody's, uh, you know, we got a heck of a production, uh, team behind us, and we have a lot of people and, 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 uh, Hey, let's not kid ourselves. We're all getting older. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and we all want to get it done. And so for me, it's, if I'm behind the wheel, it's, it's making the right decisions. I almost feel like I'm on a charter again because, Let's get it done. You know, let's get the lighting right. Let's get it before it's, it's dark or before that we've got to sit back at the dock and clean the, the fish in the dark and get the lights out and make a bunch of more work for everybody else. So I'm, I think the hardest part for me is just to you know, get on the fish if I'm, if I'm, the, if I'm the captain, I guess. Well, what do you think, Scott? What's
2: the hardest part <laughs> for me on a boat? No, so no, making down. a TV show. Yeah, making a TV show. Working with Steve. Well, I was going to – Hurry up and made. wait. Hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. This is going to be good. Nothing, nothing to do with Steve. I just I'm I'm conditioned to catch as many fish as possible in a shorter amount shortest amount of time possible. That's what I've been doing since I was 14 years old. That's how you make money. That's uh, how you make a name for yourself. Yes. That's how you get repeat customers. Dead on. And to do that and film it, it's it's not possible. Yeah. So it's Scott. hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. But the fish is right there. Cameras aren't ready. It's a sailfish. He's not going to stay there for more than 50. Your window from the time he bites your teaser to the time he bites your bait is 15 seconds. And I'm paying attention. And I know the cameras are heavy. And I totally understand that. And they got they to be on the right side. So, but if you're right there, how's the fish even going to come to us? I, I'm just amazed that 11 years later, me and Steve are continually able to make good TV for everybody to enjoy. Because there's
0: there's always a camera boat right in the way in the chump slit in the chump but but that is his that has got to be the hardest on him because he i mean i I, I beg i'm like scott all right show the fish to the camera he's like in the cooler lid down (laughs) no (laughs) no, you can't they'll hook you uh no you know and and i'm like okay this will be cool he'll actually take the hook out and the guys on the camera boat they'll get to see the fish no Knife out. Who cuts the leader off? He slams it in the box. shuts the I'm box. not going
2: to hook in my hand <laughs> yeah. for TV ever again. Yeah, well, he, that happened.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I know, and I haven't forgotten.
2: It was painful. Yeah, he definitely. <laughs> um, his his mo is when I can make Steve laugh because my blood's pouring out of my bud is pouring out of my finger. That's not good. But to his say. mo
0: is. De- I, I would I would agree because I see it, and, and I think his hardest part would definitely 100 percent be having to wait on you guys. Yeah. You know? well it's frustrating to him because tournament guy and i get it but with me i did enough guiding is whatever and i'm like well you know it's frustrating for us because you you see what we're doing we're pulling back nah. up to the rig you see we're holding this rod we're not out here for a fun time the, i mean we are but you know what i mean the, the rain the sun the rain the lightning the storm the weather everything yeah we're fishing pick it up you know pick pick the camera up you know it's it's uh
3: no man you're you're acting like i don't know i mean it's 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 you know, 14 years of the same frustration as a as a fisherman and a tournament fisherman, that's what I'm supposed to do. I find that to be the hardest thing ever. When when people ask me like, what what do you think what's what's hard about filming a TV show? And I'm like, well, everything, first of all, like you're out there when you first start and and you know you you pull in and you've got the everything perfect and you catch a few fish and and you're thinking, okay, great. This is going great. Now you have this burden of someone doing donuts around you while you're doing this. And all of a sudden you're doing things or you're being asked to do things that you would have thought previously were completely impossible. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I know that it's made me a better fisherman to realize, okay, well, I thought this was completely impossible. And obviously it's not like we, we got it done. Like, you know, we're getting ready to catch a, a, a bone fish that's tailing right there. Well, it's, it's right into the sun. You can't, you can't cast in there. We can't shoot that. So we're like, so what? You want us to pull all the way around the thing? There's no possible way it's going to be there. But you know what? If you do it really slow, sometimes they're there. <laughs> sometimes. It's it's absolutely amazing. Well, sometimes well, they're there.
0: I, I I rarely think we're going to catch a sailfish on our drift lines. When you guys are sitting on top of them, <laughs> i do like, I won't even look that direction. I just look at the kite. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to bite over there. But uh, Sometimes they do. Yeah, yeah. yeah Mostly no they doubt. bite on the other side of uh, the boat. How we about can't see them.
3: the reason that you guys are the hosts of Into the Blue is because you're both the real thing coming from two different backgrounds. Scott with the Bill Fish background, you with the commercial fishing, commercial diving, center console background, Steve, you know, you're both incredibly capable captains you're both incredibly capable fishermen and you probably think about things a little bit differently. How is that, how have you guys figured out how to have two captains on a boat? Because, I mean, it's really difficult to have two captains on a boat, but you guys seem to have pretty much worked it out. I mean, obviously there's times where you think one way, you think
0: exactly the opposite way. Well, that makes good TV. Yeah, well, it does actually. 11 years later. But, but I, I think we're experts at, at our own, uh, we have our own, I can't think of the word I'm thinking of, but he, he, I mean, Scott is amazing at what he does at sail fishing, at kite fishing, at sword fishing, at, you know, the things that he targets, tournament fishing, preparedness. I mean, just, and, and, and my uh, forte, I think is bottom fishing or, or reef fishing and snapper fishing. I never even knew how to snell a hook. Until I met him, I never even thought about snelling a hook. He brings him circle hooks, and I'm just pissed. I'm like, "What are these things, bro?" You know, ah, you know, and 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 you know, so he he's an expert at what he does, and and I think I don't I don't do those things often, you know. And, and I think he, yeah, he bottom fishes as well, but not as often as I do. Just like yes, I sell fishes well, but nowhere near as often as he does. So his knowledge of 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 the blue water and, and trolling, even you know, I mean, dude. <laughs> When I go Dolphin fishing, I literally walk in the store. I grab a pack of Ballyhoo, one pack. I have these two beat-up lures I've been pulling around for six years. You know, I poke the Ballyhoo through the eye and we let it rip. You know what I mean? And I, pull, I when we have a he show— He goes to sleep
2: and tells his customer, let me know when that rod bends. Exactly.
0: Exactly. <laughs> and, and drive this boat, follow that blackbird, wake me up when he hits the water. And, and, and then uh, I show up at the dock when we got to shoot with Scott and we're doing a dolphin show— this Joker is like a thousand miles a minute. There is forty-seven rigged values. I'm like, are we selling those to somebody? Like, <laughs> what are we possibly going to do with all these values that are pre-rigged? Like, I'm like, what? Not uh, pre-rigged. He rigged. Yeah, he rigged. Pre-rigged by him. Poop is removed. Eyeballs removed. I'm, I'm not, dude, i dude. I take a spring and I wrap it around its head. Maybe you know. And uh, I, I get it. You know, there's a whole different. I, I came at it way differently. You know what I mean? I just came at it with tie this on. It works. I think Scott with the tournament. And the blue water and the Maryland and the and the, the trolling and the, the marlin fishing. I think every count, ca- every bite, you have to make every bite count. The tension's in the detail, you know, everything needs to swim, needs to be perfect. Whereas I think a lot of my, you know, amazing catches that I've had are just right place, right time. And I truly feel that my confidence is there because I've, I've made it happen with a chicken shit rig. And I like to think that I bring a little technology into Steve's life. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> as much as he wants to grasp it's all there for him too but- i've never had a plano box with everything like I, scott took my box and he put the ceramic rings in one section and he had the bobbers in one section and the rubber bands Dude, over here his and stuff I'm like, is tight and i'm like man i love it when scott plays with my tackle box You know what I mean? I'm like, <laughs> that's, that's kind of funny but uh no it's just it's, it's he's tight it's, it's very and that's horrible too Su- oh, super, no. organized. <laughs> super organized super organized. i super i do fish a lot
2: <laughs> but usually i am driving the boat making all decisions where we're gonna go what we're gonna catch training new mates making sure they do it my way i'm always happy to have a new mate because they might know something i don't know i never uh, discourage them from letting me know what they think but i get excited when I do into the blue with Steve is I know that I get to fish again and I'm not going to fish and just bob around on the ocean. He's going to put me in a spot where I can catch more fish than I could find my own self. And I get to fish for him. And I go a little gung-ho because I don't, I want, I don't want to catch one. I want to catch 10. If you give me 10 poles, I want 10 poles bent over. I don't get that opportunity to do it very often. So when I get time to be with Steve, I know he's going to put me on his mutton spot that I can catch three muttons at once. If I can get three, if I can hold three poles or I'm gonna, he's going to be on tuna, so I can catch ten at once. And you know
0: what else, Scott? Scott has no problem with letting me drive, which is huge. You know what I'm saying? Like, it. it you would think that, like you said, being a captain, and I mean, dude running around in a 65, you know, three million dollar rig, you know, he'd be pretty cocky on the fact that, hey, I'm going to run this boat. But, I mean, he's, he he lets me drive. Whatever. He's never once told me, hey, let me take the helm today. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a known fact. If we're in Duck Key, Scotty drives the boat. We're in Key West, I drive the boat. But if we're at of somewhere where neither one of us are, uh, it's our home waters or what have
2: you. I like that, challenge the best. Um, being like in Louisiana, I mean, I love that we have a guide here. Uh, we couldn't we couldn't do what we do here without a guide. It's just too too much to bring well, you, in. You you could do it. But you could drop us out take time. there. We yeah, would catch. That's, a, that's exactly right. You could do
3: it, but not in the time that we need to film this TV show. Like you're
2: not. No, nobody's say, so good that they could any- just
3: show up anywhere and all of a sudden be as good as the locals. That's just not happening, right? Take it's a like, couple days. days. Yeah, you could drop I mean, me
2: and Steve off in any ocean and we can, we'll be fishing the next day. We're not going to go hungry. With enough time. We're going right. to take, we're going to, he sees the water a little different. I see it. He sees a current line. I see weed line. He sees blue water. I see powder water, you know, and then our eyes are looking and processing it totally differently, but with the same goal in mind to catch the fish that are living in that water or where they're not living. We're not going to waste our time. Mm -hmm. We both have that ability.
3: I find this to be very interesting right now because like, first of all, you guys have just kind of accepted the fact that, I mean, it may have taken a little while and you might have had to fish together a little while to realize this guy brings a lot to the table and this guy brings a lot to the table. So at, you know, when we're bottom fishing, you're listening. When you're bill fishing, you're listening. And do you think that that helps you to be better anglers, better guides fishing together like that? I mean, obviously, you know, you're learning a lot about bill fishing. You're learning a lot about bottom fishing. But do you think it also helps you to realize, like you just said, that you'll listen to anybody? If your mate, you, your mate might teach you something. Do you think your experiences with Steve and realizing, oh, there's this whole other
2: world out here that I hadn't really been paying all that much attention to? Ten years later, I'm I'm even better fisherman than I would have been if I never met Steve. I, I would have I wouldn't be where I am now. I mean, it's it and
0: <laughs> that's huge, bro. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, um, no, it, it it I think when I look at you know when we're fishing, we're doing a drift or sailfish. I mean, he's got all kinds of tricks up his sleeve. I mean, there's things he's doing nonstop uh, that I never ever would have even dreamt of doing. You know, uh, Scotty's—he's—he's—he knows the rigs. He's—he's—he's he's, he's on the latest and greatest. You know, he's in that circle. You know that there's a lot happening in Isle of I always said that if those Isle of boys and 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 Duck Marathon guys, if they came down and competed against the Key West fleet, the charter boat fleet. Those guys would they, they would well, their it, heads would fall off. They would it happens
3: sh- every year, right? At the World Sailfish Championship, mm-hmm. which you
0: have won,
2: right? Luckily, yes. Yeah.
0: Nothing and- to take away from the Key West guys. We just have awesome fish. But I don't think any of those guys on a big boat even own a cast net. Dude, you drive through the Middle Keys and every single charter boat is drying out their two fourteen foot cast nets. And they're feeding their baits in the pens. Yeah. And they're and while the nets are
2: drying they're and More.
0: You know, we got we got one guy that fishes like them. We got Bryce. I mean, you know what I'm Bryce, saying. Bryce, you guys, is, we got Bryce one.
2: Is the the man
0: in Key West? And he came he from just, there. I think he was he was a made up that way. he, uh, he learned from uh, some of the better boys in yeah. Almerada. And and I don't know what the difference is. And it could be we have an easier fishery. You know, we have an easier fishery. Yeah, you can
2: go out and buy the ballyhoo right out of the store and put it out and catch a dolphin.
0: Right. We have an easier fishery <laughs> than these guys. So maybe we don't have to work as hard. So maybe our 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 and I'm just speaking trolling guys. They didn't have to evolve, and it's, it's fat like if you walk down the dock, there's at Garrison Bite, there's probably what would you say, maybe twenty five troll boats there or twenty trolling boats. That's
2: fair enough. Yeah, maybe few dozen. What
0: the heck? If you ask those guys to take you sword fishing, you'd be lucky if you found two of them that he has ever been, or even would consider it, or even owns an electric. Oh, absolutely. Or, or even knows what to do to even mm-hmm. where they even bite. Right. You go anywhere from big pine to jacksonville oh. and you walk down any other charter boat operation and you said hey we'd like to go soar fishing and they'd be me 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 i'll take you on." you know i mean every everybody on the dock has done that and will do that and i think that's because we have such a massive influx of tourists down there the, that the these people have never have made been fishing them, right made it easy be lazy they're from they're from wherever maybe not even this country And they're like, we just want to pull on fish. Mm -hmm. And so these guys take them out there, and they catch some kingfish and some mackerel and some barracudas and some yellowtail. Boom. Made the day. Everybody's happy. Clients could never have been happier. Whereas I think you guys might bump into a few more... Real. Our deal. clients
2: show up with coolers in their truck. Yeah,
0: real deal fishermen.
2: Yeah, they're very. There's not a, too many clients in qs that show up with a cooler and an expectation. Well, there are. I had a bunch of them. Well, the, you're marine, marine boys. Yeah, right. No, I'm not
0: saying they were my favorite. <laughs> I, I was always like,
2: oh. Well, you you were part of the world where they grind. Yeah. And if you don't come in with fish, you don't go fishing the next day. Yeah.
0: It's funny because when you start guiding, it's like you got to you got to show the you got to show the the eyeballs that you can produce. And then as you get good and you have a clientele, then you're like, oh God, what did I do to myself? You know what I mean? Like, how do I, now I don't want to produce, you know, I need to go back to the, to the guy who doesn't want to take anything home, you know? So do you think that, um, how, how do you, I mean, you guys
3: have both been in this for long enough and you've seen plenty of people get sour on the, on the guiding business or the, or the fishing business. I mean, the sun is brutal. It's hard on your body day after day after day after day but you guys seem to have managed to keep a pretty positive attitude and you also have like what we just talked about you have an open mind and you're willing to learn from a lot of different ty- types of people how do you think what do you think the trick is for in order to to either keep that open mind and keep learning and keep keep everything fresh and exciting as opposed to just doing the milk route and getting tired of it and becoming
0: kind of sour You know, I think if, if, if you love being out there, I think that's the majority of it, you know, and, and, and it is very rare that there's something where you can be surprised every day. And I know this might sound cliche, but you really and truly can see something for the first time every day. You know, you, it might, you might've seen something similar, but it's not the same. You you know what I mean? It's, there's some amazing things that take place out there that it, it changes every day. You can't predict it. And I think with like Scott, you know, with all these new techniques, I think that keeps him fired up. You know, I think the fact that he, you know, okay, we're going to use this O-ring now to put on the the, the hook to hold the ballyhoo, or we're going to do these uh, dredges now with real mullet instead of, you know, a, a, whatever the case may be. I think his, his thing is faster, uh, technical. I think that probably keeps him jacked up, just finding a faster, cooler way or a more productive way. I think on my end, it's just the anticipation of, what's what what you're going to catch because you know you never know what is going to happen you know what i mean it's something different yeah
2: steve stops to smell the roses (laughs) yeah yeah
0: that i was going to ask whether
3: steve liked liked commercial fishing or or guiding or hook and line kind of sport fishing better because i don't when he's commercial fishing i don't think he's stopping to
2: smell the roses very much i hear you but it's a little more linear for me every day is a puzzle that you want to put together all two all 500 pieces and at the end of the day when you put that last piece in wow what an achievement and then you go home and your child knocks that puzzle off and you just start all over again every day i mean i caught 14 sales yesterday i'm jacked up to go catch 14 more next morning the water's gone where where is it bait's gone bait's gone bait's dead the, wind's blowing. the puzzle's been destroyed you got to find the first you got to find the four corners every morning and start and to to get it done, absolutely, and that's that's how I, I approach every day. I got to find the four corners, and then I can get this thing going. How often do you foot, put the final piece in the puzzle? Every day, you do.
3: Dang, Dang dude, that's Dang. strong. Into the blue, baby. <laughs> 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 Season eleven's on the way. I'm <laughs> still looking why, for that third That's why, <laughs> that's, that's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> well, man. I know that so many people love, love into the blue. I mean, it's, I've had, when I put it out there that I wanted to have people give, give me their suggestions. I think that you guys are right at the top and, and, uh, I know for, for, you know, we talk about learning and we talk about, you know, keeping your mind open and learning from other people and, and the experience that I've had watching you guys create this show and, and helping in whatever small way that I can has made me a thousand times better fisherman. I mean to watch what both of you are doing and then bring little pieces of that back into my world whether it's just by uh by principle like oh well S- Scott does it this way and we could we could kite fish for sharks in the back country or we could you know Steve does this and Maybe we could go out there and try that and, and you know, sandballing or, or any of these things. And all of a sudden you take, I take some of these little things back into my world, or maybe it's just, I learned how to throw a cast net a lot better. or Maybe it's whatever, but watching you guys has been, it's been really incredible. Before I did this, Rich was the offshore guy and I didn't know much about offshore fishing, but I'm the production guy. So this kind of fell into my world. And it's been really fun. I mean, it it really has been. And, uh, both of you guys are amazing fishermen, no doubt about it. But, uh, what about goals for the future? Scotty, you got some goals for the future? Keep winning money. Keep winning money. And just so everybody knows you're fishing in what type of tournaments and which tournaments?
2: The season just ended up as summer ends for the White Marlins. We never, uh, found the right fish this season, but, uh, as soon as we leave here, I got to. uh, wind down my season in Maryland and get the boat ready to go to DR. is a new adventure for us. We're going to go chase blue marlins for till Christmas in the Dominican Republic. So I've never been and got a crew hired to take me there and teach me the waters. And then when they leave, it's all of me till Christmas.
3: Wow. So how many billfish do you think you catch a year?
2: Three or 400.
3: Three or 400? Yeah.
2: Do you tag them all? No, not anymore. I've really wound that down a little bit. And those
3: are, those billfish are sailfish, all of them. Sailfish,
2: a few white marlin and uh, blue marlin's next. And so, the blue ones. When
3: you're you're after the money, it's the marlin?
2: Uh, The biggest purses uh, are in the summertime in Maryland and New Jersey. The Calcutta's can get upwards of $4 million. So winning fish would be easy, million, million and a half. Uh, but the sailfish turns in South Florida, which are really driving me crazy lately, or uh, Jimmy Johnson's got a new one in Key Largo that the hard rock is back in a guaranteed million dollars. Wow. And that's all catch and release. You know, in Maryland, you got to bring them in. You got to show me. I mean, uh, that's
3: got to get you pretty excited
2: because that's like exciting. all of a sudden you it's, have it's the two hard days against the best of the best, yeah, all in a tight little area. In your water and it's in our waters. it's a little north but i, I spend enough time there that i feel that i'm as got as good a shot as anybody just got to find the right rip for one hour that's that's our what, motto. what
3: what time of the year does that tournament go on
2: that's uh, uh march it's prior to the big finale in key west they start off in miami palm beach and they finish in ocean reef in key west but there's probably 30 sailfish tournaments but there's six that you really want to be a part of and uh you plan on putting quarter million in to fish those six, but if you hit it right, you can take it all back. I mean, that is more. that is definitely a but different. It's a, it's a lifestyle. That's a different,
3: definitely a different league than than <laughs> the redfish tournaments yeah. that I used to fish in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like a, a maybe maybe there might have been a thousand dollar entry fee in one of them, and and we had Calcutta's, but uh, there was a four a four. Was, was one of the familiar things that you said, but that would happen. But it would be like forty thousand would maybe be what you could win, not four million. What about you, Steve? What you got? Any goals for the future? Anything that you're working on? Anything that's important to you?
0: Not just the kids. You know, I got I got a nine and eleven year old, and uh, you know, just trying to get them uh, more involved in out in the outdoors. You know, whether it' uh, more comfortable with being on the boat, more comfortable with being in the water, uh, being you know doing the hunting and the you know fishing thing. Just raising those kids right—it's pretty much my priority right now. No really goals, man. I'm pretty happy, you know. That's right now. that's
3: the ultimate goal, in my opinion. That's that's the ultimate. That's—I don't think you can ever do go wrong with that. I mean, that's 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 the most it's important. It's pretty
2: say that both of us are in really good places right now.
3: Yeah, it seems like it. it seems
2: like it. it. Seems like
3: everybody's super happy, and and uh, the future for the end of the blue is very good. Just making great shows now. We got four of the best shows I think we've ever filmed. In the last week and next stop is key west last stop was the bahamas and onward yes sir all right boys Keep heading
2: into the blue baby will you wake jake, up jake and get
3: jake, them headphones are you back? Wake?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: jake thank you for being part of this and and thank you for uh for getting in there with that swordfish and, and sharing that story with us that was that was truly amazing if you want to follow these guys both of them told me today somewhat confidentially that they need some more followers on their instagram but no no doubt uh steve put some really cool stuff on his when he's doing the commercial fish and lobster commercial lobster diving that was those are some really cool posts where you you're showing like what you're doing and and uh i really like that so what's your instagram i believe it's at steve <laughs> this is know. why you don't have right. many followers exactly oh, my phone's dead
0: i don't know <laughs> at steve dot, dot roger yeah, no, yeah, not Matt, steven steven is it no it's no, just steve. steve it's just steve. steve you don't want to be captain america roger r-o-d-g-e-r yeah, just a dot yeah no no s
3: so sometimes we call you steven your wife calls you Steven. No, yeah. Yeah. yes and sometimes we call you steve which do you prefer i don't really matter to me you have which? a tv name and a charter name I, and a family name i think
0: i got a family name it's steven i think uh you know it's just uh i know she's like serious you know it's, <laughs> when she says steve i'm like oh i did something really bad you know what i mean really but it's just weird i don't Seems know like
3: steven would be the more i got
0: like so many names but it's like stevie from my mom it's steve from my dad my wife steven uh yeah i don't know i just i go with all of them scott calls me stevie beep you, know, but. <laughs> you, you son of a yeah exactly um
3: and so Steve. Roger, yeah. right, right. r-o-d-g-e-r
2: yeah that's it no that's s it. Nope. no s and what's yours scott c-a-p-t scott walker and uh i'll put some fishing on there especially when i'm traveling to i think really he wants to be a cook places. but you're gonna see a lot more i'm more of a foodie on instagram so if you're
0: gonna follow me Be ready for a big app. But (laughs) hey, listen. Today's lunch, we Tom and I both drilled you for recipes and whatever. Absolutely, Scott's a cook, man. He likes to cook. Every away from home, you gotta do
2: something. I think every
0: group needs needs
3: somebody like Scott. Like you gotta have, like you gotta have your cook person. Like whenever we go someplace and we're ready, Scott's like, okay, this is what we're doing. My house Thursday night. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's (laughs) gonna be ribs. We're gonna do this. Firing up the green egg. I mean, you—you pizza at, party. That's We're what I do always like. On the I always like that about Scott. Like uh, a fish comes over the rail, and he's like, "Ooh, you are going to be in with some stewed tomatoes," and—and and, I mean, he's already thinking about it, man. That—that's—that's that's, that's cool, man. That's I, a I, great choice. It—it really does. <laughs> and you're a good host when you have one of those parties, man. That's—it's a good host because the food is—is is incredible, but you can just see how much you enjoy it. I mean, you like really enjoy love the whole process. Job.
2: Thank you for making it available to do it on TV as well. I love my life. I love my wife. I love my house. I love my island. I love my keys. Man,
3: well, we got to end it right there because that's, that's his, love. That's <laughs> <laughs> If there's any more love that's going to go on, Jake's going to start talking. <laughs> 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 All right, boys. Thank you. Thank you, man.